You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. The U.S. economy has been thrown into a tailspin by the coronavirus. Adina Friedman, president and CEO of NASDAQ, joined the Washington Post Live to discuss where the markets are headed and the path forward for the U.S. economy. Let's listen. Welcome to another Washington Post Live event online. I'm Jonathan Capehart, an opinion writer at the Washington Post, and welcome to The Path Forward, The Economy. Our special guest today is Adina Friedman, president and CEO of NASDAQ, the world's second largest stock exchange. Adina, thank you very much for being with us today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's, I need you to put today's, what's happening with today's economic crisis in context. Is it deeper and more worrisome than the, the 2008 global financial crisis, or are the fundamentals more sound today? Well, it's different. I think that if we look back in history, whether it's 9-11 or the, the credit crisis or today, they each have very different characteristics. However, you can learn from the past crises to understand the best way to react to them. So in terms of the credit crisis in particular, what we learned from that is, is uh, it's clear that the Fed has learned to take action quickly, swiftly, and with with great authority to make sure that they stave off uh, further risk to the economy. So they've been very quick to act. Um, uh, they've gone bold with their actions. And I think that they learned that on the back of the credit crisis. When you look back to 9-11, I think that you saw that the, the infrastructure of the financial industry was very dependent upon people being in New York in their offices. And since then, the financial industry has invested a lot of money, time, and effort to make sure that we have full remote capabilities. So as we've gone into this crisis, we've been able to move to a remote um, situation very quickly and decisively to, to make sure that we can keep the markets open and operating during this time of crisis. So different, but you can learn from those past issues to make sure we're better prepared for this one. Well, actually, that raises a very good question, which is given the lesson you, you were just saying, lessons were learned after 9-11, lessons were learned after the 2008 financial crisis, what lessons are readily apparent right now as a result of the pandemic crisis? Are there any that you can point to right now? Well, definitely this, this crisis is, in fact, it hits almost every sector of the economy. So it, you know, to your first question, I would say that it has the potential for being deeper because it hits so many elements of the economy so quickly and decisively. Whereas with the financial crisis, it started in the financial industry created a crisis of confidence, and that bled over into the rest of the economy. I think this time, this is an externality, something that none of us could have controlled that came in very swiftly and impacted the whole world and impacted every in, almost every industry. So I do think that it's a, it's, a big, it's a huge event. So what the lessons learned from the last time are, do make sure that you take action quickly. You know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good as you're establishing fiscal stimulus measures. Make sure that you are thinking through, though, all of the different elements of the economy that are impacted so you don't uh, inadvertently leave big swaths of the economy behind because of the fact that every element of our economy is interconnected. And so if you and so that's I think it's a big part of um, uh, one of the lessons learned is seeing how interconnected the economy is means you have to make sure you're you're taking action across every element of it when it's being impacted like it is today. Well, can I get you to talk more more personally in, as a leader, a leader of an organization 
that operates 28 markets globally. You, you're in 50 countries. You, you, um, you're doing lots of things. You have lots of employees around the world. How are you as a leader dealing with the pandemic vis-a-vis -vis your employees? Well, the most important thing that a leader can do right now is communicate. So we have done a lot of communication internally with our employees. Ordinarily, in the normal times, I, I have a quarterly town hall with all of our employees, and it's a video town hall, and we, we, do, we do a lot, of, spend a lot of time talking about everything that's happening around the company. Right now, when it first started and we all went home, um, we started with a weekly call, and now it's moved to bi-weekly, but I do a bi essentially a bi-weekly town hall with all of our employees. And, and then I do a lot of Q&A, so making sure that they can ask any questions and we try to answer them as quickly and thoroughly as possible. So that's number one is communication. I think the second is really having your employees come first and foremost. Every single person is going through their own, their own moment where they're having to change everything about their lives. And we have to make sure we're supporting them in that process. We have to keep them safe. And so if they know that their safety is first in our minds, so every morning we have a management call with the risk team specifically to go over all of the elements of the employees to make sure that we're keeping them safe while we're also managing our business. And we don't allow the business um, to overtake the fact mm -hmm. that we have to make sure that we maintain the safety of our employees. So those are the two critical measures right now. You've spoken a, a lot recently about something, a concept called, you've dubbed cooperative capitalism, highlighting the importance of the private and public sectors working together. Do you have any concern that, the gov that government spending during the pandemic has been, has been excessive? I think that right now we have to recognize the most important thing that the government can do is enable people to make their way through this crisis. So it's individuals, small, small, medium businesses. Uh, half of the country is employed by small to medium businesses. So if we can help those businesses find their way through it and still be here at the other end of it, then we are ultimately helping all of our citizens make their way through this crisis. And then on top of that, you have certain larger industries like the airline industry, the entertainment industry, the restaurant industry. They are being just heavily impacted, impacted in ways they could never have envisioned or imagined. So having the government provide that support for them to make sure that we still have the ability to travel and, and return to a normal, a normal cadence when this is all over, I think is absolutely critical. So I actually think but the fiscal stimulus and the monetary stimulus has been critical to helping us find our way through the crisis. The most important thing, though, for the government to start to think about now, even though it's still early, is what are we going to do on the back of it? You know, how are we going to continue to stimulate the economy once we are able to return to a more normal cadence? Because it won't just snap back. I think it will take time for it to climb back. So how is the government continuing to drive the future of the economy and making sure they do retain some resources to be able to focus on that in the months ahead. You know, all, all Amer Americans have less disposable income than they did before the pandemic took hold and using their income more, more for necessities like groceries and medication. How would you make the case that now is a good time for small investors to buy stock? Well, it's really interesting, actually. The, the number of new investors who've logged on and, and, and um, created accounts in online brokerage firms is actually unprecedented. So there have been, it looks like, about 
four to five million new accounts created this year. If you look at the top five um, publicly traded retail brokerages, because they've all put their stats online for the first quarter. So, in fact, you are seeing a lot more engagement with individual investors coming in online. I think part of that is because the dip was so severe when the stock started to drive downward that they they saw the potential for there to be some opportunities and maybe price dislocations they could take advantage of, partly because they're home um, and they have time <laughs> on their hands. Um, I do think that's part of it, too. So, hey, if they're going to learn a new skill, let's, let's, let's learn about trading. But I think those things are actually creating an interest in the markets uh, right now. Now, the key is to keep that interest. And the way to do that is to get the, the economy to recover so that they feel that their investment of time and their investment of their dollars has been a worthwhile investment to make. And I, again, I think that that's just going to take time as we work our way through the virus. Yeah, I was about to ask you, That's a, how many did you say? Four million new accounts this yeah, year? It looks like that's about right. I, 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 you know, we're, I'm adding it up from across the different groups, but it's probably between four and five million. And so I, I, um, you sort of anticipated the, the question that I was thinking as you were speaking, and that is how many of those people will hang in there once, once things go back to quote unquote normal or to use your language, the, uh, the cadence has, has come back. Well, I'm sure that the, the retail brokers are hoping that they find that they have made a worthwhile investment of their time and money. So, um, But I, I do think also recognize that there, the, the key is to make sure that there is a, a recovery of the economy. And the Fed is certainly supporting the economy in a significant way right now, and that is helping the markets. Um, it's giving confidence into the markets. It's making people feel that there is a way through this, that there will be access to capital as they work their way through this crisis situation. Um, I do think that on the back of that, we have to make sure that it kind of comes back in a real economy way. And for that, I do think at the end of the day, you know, retail investors, if that's possible, and if we do it the right way, then they will, they will see that they've made um, good investments over time. Are you seeing that these that investors overall, but maybe even these new investors this year, are moving into any particular sector? I'm thinking maybe biotech stocks. Have they been doing well? Actually, they have been doing well um, during the race for a vaccine for coronavirus. Do you foresee a continuing uptick for many ph pharmaceutical stocks or other uh, stocks in other entities that are being pushed hard right now? So the, the, the sectors that have done quite well are ones that clearly that are resilient through the, the crisis situation. So technology companies, actually financial infrastructure companies, um, you're looking at healthcare companies, biotech, companies that either have very long-term investment horizons. Biotech tend to be very long-term investments that you're making um, in the hope that a drug is proven out over time. Uh, as well as the fact that technology is enabling us all to do exactly what we're doing right now, which is to continue to operate our businesses, continuing to, to move forward and to make it so that a distributed economy is possible. And then you also have um, industries like infrastructure industries that are continuing to provide key services, critical services, including companies that are uh, big online providers, I think are all finding themselves in a positive situation or at least not as not as they're not as heavily hit as others. So I do think that all of those types of investments are the most logical, but I also think there were there were dislocations in other sectors that um, that investors could or have found. And so those are the types of things that people are 
making decisions around. I also think that, again, it's, it's really a matter of when you invest in a company, you, you invest in the future. So how does the future look? What is your prediction? How do you feel about um, and have confidence in our ability to, to recover? And I think that everyone has a slightly different view on that, and that's being reflected in the market today. You know, we were talking a moment ago about the new investors who, who have piled in since the beginning of the year. But then there are some other investors, maybe long-term investor, investors, who have left the market as a result of the big dips that you were mentioning before. How big a psychological hurdle will it be for some investors to return to the market? Well, I, I think it'll have to do with, does their, is their investment thesis compatible with the environment that we're in from a market perspective? And can they, can they see a way to um, regain that, the, the investor base that they had? Most of the investors who may have left were also, also had investors that invested in them. Right? So they were asset managers on behalf of other asset owners. And so I think that it's a matter of whether or not they feel that their strategies will um, be able to prove themselves out over time to be able to, to, to choose to come back into the market. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a Washington Post University of Maryland poll out this week shows showing Americans opposing reopening their states too quickly, with the majority saying they would be uncomfortable going out to restaurants and grocery stores if they're too nervous to even go outside. How big a hurdle will it be for them to get back in the markets? Well, I think it has more to do with how big a hurdle will it be for them to get back into their offices. So I think at the end of the day, we are always looking at how do we make sure that we can bring the economy back online. Uh, and that, I think, is a, is a bigger task. So making sure that um, we have the, the, the right guidelines for us to be able to reopen our offices, make sure that the, that the states and the cities are doing what they can to support testing um, and make sure that people have ready access to testing and results from testing, and to make sure that they therefore feel that the, also that the companies are doing what they need to do to create a safe environment inside the workplace. Those are all things that are the impediments that we have to get over in the coming weeks and months to make sure that we can really bring, bring people back into the offices, become productive again, then turn on all of those economic engines that can get us back into that cadence that I was mentioning. Mm -hmm. So what's your forecast for when the markets, <clears throat> excuse me, for when the markets will, will bounce back? You know, I don't really have a forecast. I, I think that we all have to, we all have to live through this to understand, as I said, this has never happened to, to us before. It's a different kind of crisis. So it's not, you can't really look back in history and say exactly what's going to happen. But what you can look back in history and realize is that when there is something where there's either a major treatment or a vaccine that is developed that really allows people to feel confident in getting back together and to reconvene, it happens very quickly. People do return to their normal life relatively quickly once that fear is behind them and gone. Um, and so it's really a matter of the medical process, allowing that medical process to play itself through. As you've heard from all of the big pharma companies, they're working seven days a week um, to try to make sure that they can get a vaccine or treatments. Because I think an effective treatment can be just as helpful as a vaccine in terms of making it so that people feel like they can overcome this virus if they do get it. And those, and we have to allow that medical community to get that, that job done so that we can find our path forward here. Um, is, is the... Is the cadence that we're in? I love this word that you that you use. I'm going to incorporate it into into my writing now. But the, the the cadence that we're in right now, is it 
sustainable? How much longer can we operate like this? Not, I'm not thinking just as a society, but as an economy before we hit the breaking point and hit, go to the point of no return. Well, I'm, I'm an optimist, so I always think that there will be a return, just so you know. But I, I also think that um, I, I also would say that this is not a sustainable cadence. I think we all know that whilst there are certain elements of the economy that are working, and, 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 and frankly, you're seeing it in the services you're receiving for, at your homes, and clearly the medical community is just working incredibly hard. There are other elements of our economy that are completely shut down. And while the government has done a great job of putting in that fiscal stimulus to see people through it, that money does not last forever. That is for sure. So, the, And the longer we sit at home and the longer we don't engage with each other, the harder it's going to be to get that those engines back going again. And, the, you know, I do think that there is a limit to the resources the government has and that people have to be able to sustain in this way. So I'm not saying that we have to wait for a vaccine to get people back together. I think we have to find a safe way to start to re-engage. But we also, I think that the, the fastest way for us ultimately to get there is to create a sustainable way for us to re-engage in a limited fashion, to, to kick in some elements of the economy that are completely shut, and then allow the medical community to find its path in the hope that we can exit this year with effective treatments that can allow us to come back together. So that, that's kind of how I look at it. But of course, those are all predictions that are really impossible to make with authority. Um, it's, I'm watching the news as much as everyone else's. Mm -hmm. What's the one thing you miss about not being in the office? I really miss the, our, our people. I mean, I, I use video conferencing as uh, all day long, but there's nothing like being together to really kick ideas around, mm -hmm. to have those casual conversations that result in really good thoughts um, and, and a way for us to work together. I do think that, that everyone at NASDAQ feels a great common sense of mission right now. You know, not only do we provide markets for the U.S. And, and Europe, but we also provide the technology that powers 120 other markets around the world. And so we do have this great sense of mission to make sure that we maintain vibrant and active and, and advanced markets to help every economy recover from this great crisis. But at the same time, I think that there's this sense of community that we want to reestablish by having that, that in-office interaction. I, I, the other thing I really want to do is be able to travel again. So I, um, our largest office is actually in Stockholm, Sweden. It's a beautiful city, and I, I can't wait to be able to go back to it so that I can see our employees and, and enjoy that wonderful place again. Adina Friedman, President and CEO of NASDAQ. Thank you very much for being part of this Washington Post Live event. And thanks to everyone watching here online today. Please join us next week for a full slate of exciting guests starting Monday at 11 a.m. when my colleague Robert Costa will talk with former presidential candidate Bernie Sanders. Then on Tuesday, Bob's guests will be Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. Uh, we'll also hear from Rhode Island Governor Gina Raimondo and the CEO of the Mozilla Corporation, Mitchell Baker, and the CEO, there are a lot of people, and the CEO of Federal Express, Fred Smith, join us next Thursday. They all join us next Thursday. Head to WashingtonPostLive.com to register and for more information about upcoming programs. Once again, thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.